Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. We're picking up from last week. We started a two-point series on laying down your idols. Now turn to someone and say, watch the top of your feet today. Go ahead. Tell someone real quick, just watch the top of your feet. You, you walk on the bottoms, I'll walk on the tops. Well, or, or the Holy Ghost will, amen? A little different than we would in the middle of, uh, of Passion Week. I know many times we get used to the tradition of the same type of messages. Of course, next week on Resurrection Sunday, I have a message that I believe will just leave you encouraged and shouting. How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? When I began, and I said this last week, I want to start it again. This is meant to be a teaching. When God said, I want you to preach this message, I actually uh, looked at it and thought, well, I don't want to do that. It was supposed to be two weeks, so I scratched it off the calendar and only made it one. And God said, as I got to preparing it, God made it again two, and so I wound up erasing and putting and And the Lord said this, I want you to speak this message to the church. He said, it's something that people are dealing with in their lives. And and I said, God, I know the people of our church. I know they love you. I can't imagine that people would have idols in their lives. And he said, but I want you to speak this message. And I want to tell you, last week when I walked out, so many of you were encouraging on just how that hit home and it blessed your heart. Thank you for encouraging your preacher and allowing me to just know it's good to stay obedient to the Lord. Amen? So I want to just, again, pick up on this teaching. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 And John is writing to these new believers, to these wonderful Christians, and he says this, little children, keep yourself from idols. That's it. And I love his heart for the people that he's leading. Keep yourself from idols. How many of you know in the culture that he lived, Idols were a major part. Actual physical wood and stone, precious metal idols were a big part of what they were dealing with. I can tell you in our our particular area, although we may not be dealing with literal idols in our homes, we do have literal idols in our lives. Turn to someone real quick and tell them, you got to lay it down. Go ahead, tell them. Father, this morning we thank you for your faithfulness in this place. God, we thank you that you're drawing us closer to you. And Lord, we want to be more like you. We thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. So this morning, we ask that we would decrease and that you would increase in Jesus' name. And everyone said. Last week, I started off, and this was pretty much the focus of this. An idol is anything in your life that is first place in your life in front of God. An idol is anything, any position, any job, any person, any desire, anything that is in your life that is first place in front of God. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to pick up right in the middle, write this down. An idol is anything you fall back on and look to when you think that God is not acting fast enough. How many of you have ever said to God, I wish you'd move just a little bit faster? If you had, just wave your hand at this preacher and let me know I'm not alone. Human nature is absolutely remarkable. Israel had been delivered out of Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. And they found themselves in the presence of God. They had seen that in God's ways, that he was going to be with them as a fire by night and a cloud by day. In Exodus 24, 16, 18, it says, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered its six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire, on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now between verses 24, uh, chapter 24 of Exodus and chapter 32, there was a lot that went on during those 40 days, both what God was doing in Moses' life and what was going on on Israel. 
Now in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings and were, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. Now watch this. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So Moses is there for 40 days in the midst of the glory of God. The mountain is still on fire. The Israelites can see the presence of the Lord. As a matter of fact, they are so in awe of the mountain, they won't even go and touch it. Now the calf was a familiar idol to the Israelites because all the nations around them, including Egypt, had an idol shaped like a calf. And as I was preparing this message, there were several things that were impressed upon my spirit. First of all, even though you have witnessed and experienced the presence of God, does not mean that you are following God for yourself. I want to tell you, we have been asking God, and listen, how many of you are thankful for the presence of the Lord in this church? But just because people come into the presence of the Lord and have an experience with seeing God and seeing the glory of God doesn't mean that they're following the Lord for themselves. The Israelites were not really following God. They were following Moses, who was following God. The Israelites saw the glory and power of God. It literally shook them. It touched them to their core. But just because you have an earth-moving experience with God doesn't mean that you know God. And the Israelites got where they were in their walk with God because they were following someone else who was following God. Listen, a lot of people have followed their parents or they followed a spouse, or they followed a pastor, or they followed a church or a ministry or whatever it is. They recognize the presence of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, but they've never really entered in to knowing God for themselves. There are many whose idol is the one they are following who is following God. And when the Israelites got upset, you will notice that they didn't get mad at God in the wilderness. They got mad at Moses, who was supposed to be listening to God. And I want to ask you, who are you following? This morning, do you know God for yourself, or are you following someone else? And then what happens when that person fails you, or dies, or you can't get a hold of them for a while? The second thing that the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart is, do you start taking matters into your own hands when it seems as if God is being silent or, is this he, or if you think he's disappeared or if you don't think that he's moving fast enough? You ever been in a situation where you've been praying and asking God for something and then you literally sit there with God and go, Lord, I need you to do something now. You're not moving fast enough for me. If you've ever been there before, say a good Amen. The truth is, this is an important part in the growth of every single believer. Moses was on the mountain for a while. He was meeting with God. And God was still moving on the mountain. The Israelites could see it. The fire was still there. The glory was still there. And the Israelites grew familiar with the presence of God. But they thought that Moses and God were taking a little too long. I want you to think about that. In less than 40 days, in less than 40 days, 
They were discontented with how quickly God was moving in their life. It wasn't fast enough. They were staying in one place. They were there at the mountain while the man of God was meeting with God on the mountain, but things weren't moving fast enough. And they said, listen, we don't even know where Moses is anymore. We see the glory of God, but we don't see the man of God. And we're tired of waiting. We're tired of being where we are. We want to take matters into our own hands. Do you realize that in America we'd move much faster? Our discontent happens a lot quicker than 40 days. We're so used to things moving, so things going, everything's happening. I want to remind you that there are times God will make you wait. There are times God will make you wait months where God will have you wait years. The glory is still there. His presence is still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. The fire's still moving. He's just asked you to stand still, just to stay put for a little while, just to camp out. He's letting you know that he's there, that he loves you, that his power is still active, but we get impatient. And it was then that the Israelites began to take things into their own hands. And they molded a God into an image they could relate to and that they could look to. How many times have we felt that God was taking too long and we made up something on our own and then convinced ourselves that it was God and that it was actually God's will? Instead of waiting on God, we made something happen. Turn to someone and say, you got to wait on the Lord. Listen, can I tell you, right now in the American culture, and I can tell you in the American church, because I see it happening with pastors, if things are taking too long, there is this thought, then make something happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. People will even tell you that. If it's not going, fake it till you make it. Can I tell you, if you fake it till you make it, you ain't got anything but fakeness. Only human beings are foolish enough to create something on their own, out of their own imagination, and then believe that it was God. Which brings me to this thought. There is no such thing as an accidental idol. Now I want you to listen to me because... When I tell you that God laid this so strong on my heart, this is something that's taking place in the life of every one of us. Things that we put in the place of the Lord. Things that we act on that God didn't ask us to act on. Things that we're desiring that God never put in our heart to desire. There's no such thing as an accidental idol. In Exodus 32, 19 through 24, so it was. As soon as he came near the camp, this is Moses, that he saw the calf and the dancing. Now I want to stop there for a minute. A lot of Christians make something happen. It has nothing to do with God. And they're just excited that something's going on. Listen, I have grown up in church from the time that I came out of the womb. I've been in Pentecost since I was eight years old. I've seen God do amazing things. And then I've watched people try to work it all up. And they get excited. And all they did was really they started dancing, shouting. And all they got was tired. You ever been in a service like that? I know it's a little different now. We seem to be a little more mature and mellow than we were in the 80s. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to pat powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it and Moses said to Aaron what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them so Aaron said do let the, do not let the anger of my lord become hot you know the people that they are set on evil for they said to me make us gods that shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of them. I want you to notice that Aaron just passed the buck to everybody else but himself and even tried to massage Moses' ego. And I said to them, 
Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and watch this, and this calf came out. Now, there is no such thing as an accidental idol. I wonder if Aaron said this with a straight face as he looked at Moses, or if his voice trailed off when he realized this excuse sounded just as foolish to Moses as it did come rolling off his lips. Hey, Moses, this thing just happened to form into a calf that looks like all the other calves, that all the other false idols that they're worshiping in the nation around us. I can just see Moses standing there going, Really? The idols in our life, listen to me, don't just show up in the fire. As a matter of fact, I have found that the fires and stresses of life have a way of bringing out what is already there. It was already formed. It was already inside of us. Listen to me. How do you know that you have a false idol in your life? It happens. You begin to see it when the fires and the trials and the hardships and difficulties of life begin to come upon you. You find out if you're following God or if you're following something else. If in the middle of the intensity you're able to wait on the Lord and know His presence and wait for his voice or if in the middle of that thing you begin to worship something else and try to make something happen on your own by the way this right here puts evolution on notice without a creator somehow out of the primordial ooze came all that we see in the earth including the rich diversity from plants animals to humanity Listen, if you are an evolutionist, I want you to hear me right now. I'm sorry, your idol holds no weight with me. Hear me now. Any idols that we have in our life, we have formed ourselves, and they did not get there by accident. But I want you to notice what Moses' response to the idol was. In Exodus 39, 19, and 20, So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountains. Then he took the calf which they made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder. I find it interesting that when Moses found out what the people were doing, that the first thing he did was break the Ten Commandments. And that was the man of God. You ever notice that sometimes we get frustrated with other people and the first thing we do in our aggravation at others is disobey the word of God for ourselves. First is Moses shows us what not to do. You can come out of an extended time in the presence of God and drop what God just showed you. Christian, I want you to listen to me right now. We are in the midst of seeing unprecedented compromises happening around us in the nation that we live in. We are having to stand up for righteousness in a way that we've never had to do before. When legislation is having to be written in our state assemblies so that we are not teaching sexuality of any type to children from kindergarten through elementary school, we have come into a wicked society. But it's interesting to me how many Christians get angry at what's going on in the world and they're dropping what God has already shown them. They're dropping the things of love and of care. We must stand up for what's right. We must declare what righteousness is, but we must not forsake the ways of God ourselves. Turn to someone and tell them you're better than that. Go ahead, tell them real quick. I'm thankful that we live in a state that's standing up for righteousness. I'm thankful that we have legislators that are putting laws into effect. But hear me, laws, and if you are here on Wednesday nights and you're listening, laws will never change the heart of people. Only Jesus will. I'm glad we're putting safeguards in place for our children. But the real answer is for salvation to come to every man, woman, and child throughout our nation. That's why Jesus came and gave his life on the cross, if you'll believe that say a good amen idolatry can mess up even the best of people 
What Moses did do right was he began to destroy the idols. You see, whatever thing in your life that takes the place of God, don't just melt it down. Don't try to reshape it because it has some value to it. Grind it into a powder. I want to remind you that those idols were made of gold. They were valuable. It wasn't a rich, these were not rich people. They could have used that gold for other things, to purchase other things. The first thing on Moses' mind wasn't the value of that gold. It was to serve God and to get rid of anything that stood in the way of God. He took that gold and ground it until it was nothing. And then he made the people drink it so that they couldn't ever use it. I want to remind you that, and I want to sit that I want that to sit there for a moment. As long as the idol still has value in your life, it has you. You can reshape it, try to make it in a different way and repackage it, but it's still an idol. Moses knew that he had to get rid of it. Listen, gold has value, just not as your God. Someone said this, and I love it. Don't cling to a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. Someone say a good amen. Listen, I put a lot into that thing. I did a lot with this. There's got to be something I can salvage out of it. Listen, if it's a mistake, if it's in the place of God, just get rid of it. One of the idols that many people carry around in their lives is another Jesus. And I'm going to preach this for just a minute. Because I want to tell you that's one of the things that we see happening around us in America. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4 says, But I fear least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Would you say that word, simplicity? Can I tell you, serving Jesus is a simple thing. For if he who comes preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, a different attitude, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. I want to tell you there is another Jesus being preached in the world today. William Booth said this almost a hundred years ago. I am of the opinion that the chief dangers which confront the modern church will be religion without, Holy, without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How many of you know we're living in that time right now? While there are many false religions, and while there are many false Christs, I want you to know that I'm speaking to Christians most Christians that I know would never knowingly follow another Jesus. But they will follow a Jesus that looks just like them. People often say to me, often say to me, I can't believe in a God. And then they'll tell me who does this. I can't believe in a God who lets people die. I can't believe in a God who lets kids go hungry. I can't believe in a God who lets wars happen or allows people to get sick. I can't believe in a God who allow people to go to hell. Whenever I hear people start a sentence where I can't believe in a God who, I know that they have made a Jesus that fits their image of who they want him to be and not the Jesus of the Bible. Habakkuk 2.18 says, What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. Listen, you can make your own personal Jesus say anything you want. You can give, he, he can give you every desire that you ever wished for. Many people who say, 
They serve the living God, have made their Jesus have more in common with a genie than as a righteous, holy, sinless Son of God. And if you're not careful, you will wind up believing your truth instead of the way, the truth, and the life. Is there anyone in here who believes in the way, truth, and the life? If you do, could you give them a hand this morning? I want you to listen to me. The reason that I feel this so strongly on my heart, the Holy Spirit put it there with such an increasing urgency, is that we live in a time where people are choosing and believing what they want in our day and age. And there are many now who are offering salvation on our terms instead of on God's terms. Many preach a Jesus who is a savior and a provider, but fail to mention that for him to be ours, he must be our Lord as well. We do serve a God who gives grace, but I can assure you, Jesus is not soft on sin. We serve a God who will meet our every need according to his riches and glory, but he will not indulge our every whim and our every fancy. For him to be our Lord, we must still come by faith and we must repent of all that displeases him and forsake all to follow him. To us, Jesus cannot be one among many, but our one and only. For he is the one and only sinless Son of God. How many of you are thankful for what he did on the cross? Can I tell you as believers, we are entering in this holy week. I pray with our eyes wide open and our hearts firmly fixed on what it cost Jesus on the cross and what it meant when he walked out of that tomb. To be honest, many people who say they serve Jesus actually serve a God called S-E-L-F. And we can watch in the modern church where this has become true. For many Christians, we have been taught to indulge ourselves. And that message has creeped into the modern church. I can tell you as your pastor that this has been a conversation I've had with many people on many occasions, not only outside the church, but within the church and to other Christians. I've even had this conversation with other pastors, people who are putting their selves first, their ideas first, their desires first, and then everything else that God desires them to do second. I want you to hear me with this. One of the many idols that people have is greed and money. I believe that in the next couple years you are going to watch that desire for things change. We're going to enter a season of difficulty, I believe, in the world where things aren't going to be as plentiful as they used to be. We're going to find out very quickly how many of us trust in God or how many of us have grown very comfortable with the fact that we can have anything we want at any moment we want, really at any time we want if I get hungry, how many of you have actually walked through Publix? I've walked through the grocery store and I've said this to my wife, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> I can't find anything to eat. Listen, that's a problem when you're walking through the grocery store and they got everything there. I can't just figure out what I'm hungry for. How many of you know that's a first world problem? How many of you know if you can actually have the luxury of walking through the store and you can't find anything you like to eat, you're doing okay. But money and greed is a driving force in our world today. It always has been. It's been in the fabric of our society. Desire to have, to acquire, and possess. Listen, you've heard it said it's okay to have things, but it's not okay if those things have you. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says, If then you were raised with Christ, 
seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and watch this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 5 says, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which was an idol for money. For most Christians, I found this will preach itself. But I was speaking with several people over the last year on how hard it is for a family to make it. The truth is, in our economy, you need both parents to work just to keep the family going. The American dream has actually made us a prisoner to the devil's schemes. Money and possessions are not in and of themselves bad. But many Americans today are held hostage by illegitimate debt and credit. And God uses money as an indicator of our soul. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil, and because of it, many have caused themselves many troubles. It says, for many, the pursuit of possessions... And pleasure, the Bible tells us, was what led them away from God. Many who sought the blessings of God are now enjoying them so much that they no longer have room in their life for God. They're busy enjoying life, but they no longer pray or read the Word or enjoy attending church. You see, one of the biggest concerns that God had about the last days is that people would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The truth is that you and I have become so in love with comfort that anything that God calls for that ruffles our feathers or makes us uncomfortable actually begins to make us disgruntled with God. I want to remind you this morning that the ultimate goal of a believer is to please God not our own comfort. There have been many that have been disobedient to what God has called them to simply because in one way or the other it makes them uncomfortable. Have you ever heard a Christian say, but I'm not comfortable with that? Now listen, there are certain things it's okay to be uncomfortable with. How many of you know that? Listen, so there's always, listen, anytime you, you use a phrase, there's always someone telling you why that phrase can't be used. How many of you are reasonable thinkers and understand you don't have to throw it all out? But sometimes God calls us to discomfort. Another that many struggle with is the idol of culture. Truth is not what culture tells us it is. Truth is not what philosophy you subscribe to. Truth is what God's word says it is. And I want you to hear me. Many people want to fit into the world around them. And when Paul was talking to the Corinthians Everything about the culture that they lived in was designed to pull them away from God. And our culture is no different. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul spoke just as John spoke. And he said, therefore, my beloved. And I love, do you notice that whenever these wonderful apostles spoke to people that have come to Jesus, that when he talks to them about adult, uh, idolatry, he says this, beloved little children. He wasn't wagging a finger. He wasn't poking him in the chest. As loving spiritual fathers, 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. The answer to dealing with the pull of culture is to flee from what is trying to pull you from God. I want you to listen culture in everything that it's doing, from politics to entertainment to the way people talk. Everything is being used to pull us into what culture says is right, not what Jesus says is right. And the answer to it was to flee from idolatry, have nothing to do with it. The word flee in that verse is a Greek word which means run as fast as possible or to take flight. Let me use an analogy. There are people that have been delivered from alcohol. And once Christ sets them free, it would be foolish to meet people in a bar because that environment might lower them back into the habit of drinking again. A bar is simply a dangerous environment for an individual who has been set free from an alcoholic addiction. Common sense says this, I shouldn't go there. And I'm not talking about restaurants that have alcohol available. But listen, I grew up with an alcoholic father. He died when I was 47. Uh, when he was 47, I was five. I've outlived my father. And I've gone places where people are like, come on, pastor, have a drink. Go ahead. Listen, I already know what's in my family history. Come on, pastor. You know, it's been a stressful week. And I've looked at them. Do you even know who you're talking to? People say, what do you do? I've gotten up and left. You want me to fit into, listen, I don't need to fit into your culture. I need to fit into Jesus. I'm not worried if you don't like me because you don't think that I'm fitting in with what you're doing. I'm using that as an example. It could be anything else. Listen, it might be a show. Listen, there might be shows you love to watch, but in it they are constantly, constantly promoting the homosexual agenda, which you can't almost turn on any television now, and they're doing it. I look, we were watching something the other night, and all of a sudden, and I looked at my wife, and I said, you've got to be kidding. This show too? Really? But here's what I'm watching. Listen to me. I'm watching as even other preachers are going, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe love is, listen, love is what God says it is. I'm not saying that you, you begin to, to treat people who are not serving God like they should be serving God. How many of you know unbelievers are unbelievers? They're going to do what unbelievers do. But listen, if it's starting to turn you away from the things that have for God, you need to flee from it. Turn off the TV. Get rid of, listen, if you've got to get rid of the computer or change the thing on your phone, do what you need to do if you find yourself moving in that direction. And listen to me. That is happening more than you know. You've probably had conversations with saints of God that are beginning to change their opinion because they're afraid they're not fitting in. God didn't call us to fit in. He called us to stand out and be righteous. Listen, we will never win the world to Jesus if we're like the world. We're called to be like Jesus. Listen, there is a separation. That doesn't mean that you treat them poorly. That doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you shun them. But it does mean that if you need to walk away from it, you do it. Christian, if you're raising kids in a school that is forcing that agenda on your children, pull them out of the school. Put them at home. You have options. People are saying, but I work, I have time. Listen, then let's form things that will help to change the environment so the world will change. But don't let your children or your grandchildren fall prey to what the world is doing. It is a biblical command to flee from the presence of evil because it is foolish to blatantly put ourselves at risk in a detrimental environment. We may not fall off the edge of a cliff simply standing near it, but playing around the cliff's edge greatly increases the danger of slipping. And keeping a safe distance from the edge assures us that we will not slip and fall. 
So to keep an idol out of your life, you and I need to stay out of the environment that, lives, that it lives in and don't invite it into where you live. The last idol. Turn to someone and say he's on the last point. Glory to God. Go ahead, tell him. Can I just tell you, I felt the sense of the Holy Spirit just moving for us to be a place where our heart is all in for Jesus. The things that we're expecting God to do and that he's been doing in our church and that we want to see increase mean that we have to be so completely, completely set apart for the Lord. The last idol that many need to lay down is the idol of success. Success and identity. The Bible calls this the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. How do you know this is an idol? When you define yourself and your worth based on what you have, what you have done, the positions you hold, and the things that you've accomplished. A long time ago, I preached a series of messages here called The Godly Keys to Success. And we scratched out success and put in the word faithful. I want you to listen to me. God never called you to be successful. He called you to be faithful. God will bless you and you can be successful. But above all those things, he called you to be faithful. And there are some things that God will call you to that you cannot measure by the metrics of the world. When you feel diminished because you are not those things, then success and identity has become an idol in your life. I want to remind you that our worth, our value, and our identity is not in what we do or what we have done, but our identity must be found in who we are in Jesus Christ. One of the biggest idols that we struggle with is the image we have in our own mind instead of resting in the fact that we are the image of Christ. We are to be able to look in the mirror at ourselves, and listen, what do you look like to you? Every one of us have dealt with this. I can tell you this has been an issue in my life. When you have a father that died at five and you're raised by your mom, listen, an awesome mother, she did a great job. But when you wind up getting picked on, you start to wonder and look at yourself a different way. I want you to look at me, the whole world and what you're watching, this victim mentality, the way that's going on is so that you'll look yourself in the mirror and you won't like what you see. Here's the glorious thing. When the image that you see in that mirror and you can look in there and go, I see Jesus. And that's not prideful. I see what God's doing in me. I've been faithful to what God has called me to do. I love who I am because Christ is in me. It is no longer I that live but Christ who lives in me. Come on, turn to someone and tell them right now, it's no longer I that lives. I don't want to tell you that's been a struggle even for this preacher throughout the years. There'll be things that the world will pull at you because we're measuring things by the metric of the world. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you realize when the only image you're worried about looking like is Jesus? All the other images you thought you should be? Some of you are struggling with that. Listen, put that idol away. Because that's, that's the ability to get prideful real quick. A lot of us will stand in front of the mirror and go, I like that. But what happens when you don't measure up to what you thought you were supposed to be? What happens when someone else looks at you and go, you're not good enough? And they do. You ever been there? Can I tell you, we live in a time where image, even within the church, image is everything. 
the only image we're supposed to be is like Jesus. I pray that when, and I'll, listen, I pray this as your preacher. I pray that when people come up, people won't walk away and go, what a great preacher. I pray they'll look at me and go, what a great Jesus. I talked with a businessman. He'd made millions. He said, Marvin, I want to tell you, I have been a success in everything this world would ever, every metric, every metric. But when I looked in the mirror, I hated myself. Multimillionaire. By every measure, nice cars, nice house, great clothes. The dude was suave. He was a good communicator. He was like the guy you'd look at and go, I want to be like that. He goes, but when I looked in the mirror, he said, all this was nothing. He said, you know, Marvin, that wood, hay, and stubble, this is all wood, hay, and stubble. I love the house I live in. I love the car I drive, but it's nothing. And I had to be able to look myself, and pretty soon the image I had of myself had to change. He said, I realized I hadn't died to myself. It was still all about me. Oh, I went to church, I gave, but it was still about me. If something was done, I'd be like, well, what's in it for me? I had to die to myself. Listen, in the next couple months, I'm going to be preaching a message, and I can't wait to bring it. It's called Brokenness But Not Broken. You've heard me say this the last couple of weeks. It's the message that when I go to preach other places this year that I'm going to bring. I'll be preaching it when I go to Denmark in September. I'll be preaching it up when I go to Pennsylvania and the other places. That's the word God's given me. I want to tell you, so many of us have become our own idol. Church, but can you imagine? We're so busy, I want to feel good about me, but when you look in the mirror and you can see Jesus... I promise you, you feel good about yourself. I promise you, when people will look at you in the culture, you won't worry if they like you or not because you love them like Jesus did. It'll change the conversation. Here's the big question. Are you developing an image that you like of yourself or are you content to look like Jesus? If not, that's an idol in your life that you need to lay down. I can tell you there's times throughout my life I've picked that idol back up and I've had to lay it back down. Picked it back up and laid it back down. Pick it back up, lay it back down. Hear me. God is raising up a church. Not just Harvest Community, I mean the church. All of us who belong to the body of Christ. that is content to look like him. Can I tell you in the coming months and years as we watch the end times unfold, and how many of you would believe we're kind of in the beginning? I mean, it doesn't take a genius to see prophecy unfolding. But when the things begin to happen, you are going to watch a lot of Christians struggle. I promise you, you have a God will meet your needs. There will come a place, I believe, where we will be so unconcerned about all the stuff. The Bible talks about the simplicity that's in Christ, the simple life. Paul said, the only thing I wanted to know was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Would you stand with me this morning? For the last two weeks, this has been so strong. How many of you sense the Holy Spirit in the place this morning? If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to preach it anyway. But <laughs> The thing that's marvelous about this, I love how both Paul and John spoke lovingly, not pointing the finger in the chest, not scolding, because those apostles knew the struggle. Remember, they were in the culture. God brought them out. God is calling each of us to lead others into his presence, to salvation. But for the church, I believe this. Listen, this is such a personal thing. Over these last two weeks, listen, if you didn't listen to last week, I want you to listen to it. I said, I am sorry. It would be great if you'd go back and listen to it. 
But let me ask you this. What is God dealing with in your heart? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're not going to have an altar call. I just want you and Jesus to be shut in together. There's something about this message that resonated in your heart because the Holy Spirit was speaking. What idol? Have you been in such a rush with things that you've decided to take things in your own hands? Listen, if you have, lay it down today. For you, it might be the only image that you see of yourself. Jesus, I want to look like you. Father, we thank you that you're in this place today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you, God, for the example of these wonderful apostles that as they wrote to those who already believe in you, who love you, who have dedicated their life to serving you, that it reminded them of the danger of idols. And Father, we do that this morning in this place. Lord, we recognize the culture we live in and the things that have been built up around us. Father, this morning we purpose to lay down every idol in our life. For just a minute, I'm not going to pray. I want whatever, and you don't have to say it out loud, just you and Jesus, whatever thing he's dealt with you, lay that down right now. Fathers, we lay these at your feet. Lord, we're going to take them like Moses did and grind that thing that's been valuable to us into powder. Lord, we don't want to incorporate it into our life. We want it to be removed from our life. And Lord, I thank you that you set us free. I pray for that one right now that's struggling with their image of who they are. That, Father, when they go and look in the mirror as they get home to change, that, Lord, they'd see you and that they would love you. And, Lord, as we love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it even changes the way we see ourselves. God, I pray you'd bless them that that battle would be over today, that they would have joy and peace. Lord, I pray for those of us that have been driven by success. Lord, we lay that down, our desires to be faithful. I pray, Lord, when you look at Harvest Community Church, when you look at every one of us, that you say they are faithful. Lord, thank you that we will have metrics that will show that we've accomplished things for the glory of God. But Lord, may it be more about your glory than our glory. May it be all about you being lifted high and not ourselves, not a church, not a people, but God, that you would be lifted up. And Lord, we understand that the Bible says if you be lifted up, you will draw all men. And so Lord, we pray again as we lift you high this morning, let Jupiter come to Jesus. Lord, from the most wealthiest person, Lord, to the most unknown person. Father God, to the most famous, to the one that is just struggling to make ends meet. Lord, let them come to Jesus. And Lord, that we would have no respecter of persons. That Lord, the body of Christ would be one that works together and loves together, regardless of status and regardless of station in life. That we would be one as you're one. Now, Lord, I pray you'd bless as we leave this place today. Thank you for the connect groups. Anoint the leaders. May the times that they have together, the bonding and the friendships that are made, be lasting and solid. And God, thank you that even through these groups, disciples will be brought. And we'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, the Lord bless you. Thanks for being with us today.